everybody, this is Sam, that girl with the curls, bringing you another amazing episode. Go figure. Oh my god, this is like the first time that's ever happened. Uh, no, it's, uh, it's, it's still true. Uh, it's another great episode. It's, uh, uh actually, yeah, it's, uh, one of the, one of the, f I mean, I don't want to say funnest, but still pretty damn fun. I mean, I've had a lot of fun episodes. I'm not, it's like your children can't choose but sometimes you like something a little bit more about one versus the other. I don't know. I'd have to ask my, my mom about that. Uh, Annie Hoosel, uh, this episode is uh, Spike Trotman. Uh, she was uh, highly recommended uh, as, a, as a good uh, guest to have on the show, which I tell her in the episode itself. And uh, yeah, it was just a really fun conversation. Um, we definitely talk about the comic book industry, and, but uh, a majority of this is about, you know, the political landscape. Uh, and I couldn't be happier about that in terms of talking about it. Not so much that I like what's going on in the political landscape, but uh, Spike is uh, just uh, amazing and she's so smart and she's so awesome. And you probably already know this, but it goes without saying. Um, she came on the show uh, as well to promote the Kickstarter that uh, Iron Circus is uh, currently uh, promoting, and it is for uh, Melanie Gilman's As the Crow Flies, which, as of the recording of this intro, is um, at $24,300, uh, 12 days to go. It needs to meet 25000 which I, at this point I'm fairly certain is going to happen, but you never know, so... Uh, if you can, uh, please go and support it. It uh, it looks gorgeous, first of all. And uh, as Spike does say uh, towards the, I think, the end of the podcast, uh, you can go to Melanie Gilman's website and read the webcomic uh, before you buy. So uh, you have every opportunity to figure out how awesome this is. Um, but yeah, before you do that, or actually do that first, uh, then come back to this. Or, you know, listen and then go and do it. Either way. Uh, find find the means to support this Kickstarter, but also enjoy uh, episode 92 with Spike Trotman. okay I almost had an infant sleeping on me but then I had to give him back so <laughs> you, you got me out of being the uh, the mattress for my nephews so. yeah and you're like I'm so sorry I really have to do this previous thing otherwise I would absolutely love to do free babysitting oh of course well yeah in my family it basically comes with it so <laughs> it's like you want a baby right like sure <laughs> Oh, you, you and your husband getting a lot of that. So, so when's the baby happening? Um, what we get actually is my father-in-law, who understands the kind of people we are, but all the same still feels the need to try. He'll give us a very grave look and he'll go, now I'm not saying you guys can't have your own life and have your own choices, but the saddest people I know are people my age who didn't have kids. And that's all I'm going to say. That's oh my God, wow. 
is is your yeah. is your father in law is he uh Catholic I'm by any chance? Is is your father in law Catholic by any actually, chance? He yeah, he was raised Catholic actually. Hmm. That's that sounds like some pretty good laying on the guilt there that uh I, I had to hear a lot from certain members of my family. Yeah, and it's like it's one of those deals where it's like nothing says that your kids are gonna want anything to do with you even if you do have them. So it's <laughs> like your my loneliness insurance isn't really a, a great you know, reason to have children. <laughs> That's why I have cats. <laughs> so. Exactly. Dogs work too. Dogs work too. I'm very open-minded. I'm, <laughs> yep. You know, that's good. In in this day and age, Spike, it's really important. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, I'm not opposed to a rabbit or two. You know, maybe a bird. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Macaw, something like that. Ooh, there we go. Don't those ones, like, live forever or something? Yeah, they are. Actually, people who own, like, you know, the big ones, like the macaws and the cockatoos and stuff, they're told that you should make accommodations for your bird in your will because there is an incredibly good chance your bird will outlive you. Like, if, if you're, like, a 30-year-old person and you get a, a macaw that's, like, a year or two old, mm-hmm. people are, like, just assume it'll outlive you. Oh, my God. That's really morbid thought. Yeah. Yeah, so you have to, like, make accommodations because, you know... You're going to die. Your macaw's going to be like 60 and have 20 more years left in it. So. Oh, good God. <laughs> it's yeah. just like, it's like, what to do when your bird will outlive you? Hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it's like one of many scary things about macaws. But... What, what are the other ones? I don't know all of them. Oh, my God. Um, all right. It's like, again, it's like, I totally get that there are people who are like totally bird people and mm-hmm. like they live for birds and they're totally willing to completely like build their life around being able to own this bird. Yeah. But they're super high maintenance. If you have a macaw and you're like a single person and you have a macaw, but then you get into a relationship with a, another human, mm-hmm. the macaw will get super jealous and aggressive. Uh Oh yeah. And they have, um, they have beaks that can like bite off fingertips and stuff. And yep. they're really, really, really loud. Like, ear-splittingly loud. No matter what. When they're happy, when they're sad, when they're angry, when anything. They're hungry. They're just ear-splittingly loud. And they, they're they basically like having a three-year-old forever, is how I've heard it described. So. Oh, yeah, exactly. It's kind of horrible, right? Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, because we were... Growing up, I was never a bird person. Like, I mean, I like them okay when they're not like a pet. Like I'm, I'm cool with that. My, my cousin had a, had a, oh God, it, it's not a, not a cockatoo or no, what a shit. It was one of those smaller birds or whatever, yeah. but it would, it was just very vocal and it would poop on everything. So I, I was like, yeah, I'll hold him for like two seconds, but you can just have that thing back. That's cool. So yeah. <laughs> we're, we're much more of a cat family on my side of yeah. the, of things. Yeah, I'm a dog person. I'm kind of always going to be a dog person. I just love their big dopey faces. Oh, I've wanted a dog forever, but like circumstances never presented themselves like properly to to get a dog. Like even yeah. now, it's it's a very um, generational household. So having a dog at this point would just be like, no, there's a there's a baby that's learning to crawl and walk. It's probably not a good idea right now. Yeah, yeah. So. But yeah, um, we, we're, we're technically starting here already, but... Uh, oh, okay, sure, sure, let's go for it. Yeah, we can... The, the macaw talk is good. I like that stuff, so... Yeah. <laughs> but uh, just for formality's sake, I suppose, uh, Spike Trotman, welcome to That Girl with the Curls. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Happy to be here. Yay! You come highly Yay. recommended. Um, 
was it? I think uh, was it Tanika Stotts, uh, Benjamin Dewey, and uh, David Walker were like singing your praises when I was talking to them. So uh... I love all those people. <laughs> Good, because they love you just as much. Yay! <laughs> and they're like, Spike's amazing. I'm like, I know. I'm trying to get her on the show. And they're like, Yeah, you should do that. <laughs> Like, I'm glad it could finally happen. Yay. No, it, 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 I still feel bad about what I did at Emerald City because I saw you. I like I had line of sight with you. And I was like, yeah, I'm looking for Tanika. And I, I was just like, <laughs> after I had the conversation with Tanika, I was like, oh, shit. I Wow, that seemed rude. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's totally cool. Trust me. Everyone at Emerald City is kind of buzzing. So, yeah. No one is behaving 100% normally in Emerald City. <laughs> it's like what happens at the con stays at the con or follows you home because it's probably a sickness of some sort. So. I know, right? It's just con crud or something. You, you were like, oh, that was fun. You're on the plane home. You yeah. get home. You go to sleep. You wake up. And, like, your eyes are crusted shut. Your nose is a river. Your lips are chapped. Your throat feels like sandpaper. And you're like, oh, one last gift. Yay. It's like the gift that keeps on giving. It's so good. Although- I'm getting really good at not getting con sick because I try to avoid shaking hands these days and I always carry hand sanitizer and it's usually working and I'm very proud of myself. Well done. Well, it's like you're, you're like life hacking your, the con <laughs> business. <laughs> yeah, because it's getting to the point now where I'm doing like 10 cons a year and I can't afford to be sick 10 times a year. So. <laughs> really? I mean, come on. It's for the fans, yeah. Spike. <laughs> I know, right? But yeah, um, it's just, used to be one of those things where I just assumed, well, whatever, I'm doing a con. The week afterwards, I'm going to be in full recovery mode, so who cares? But nowadays, it's like, I'm, I do fist bumps instead of handshakes, mm-hmm. and, you know, every time I go to the bathroom, it's like, I, I, I wash my hands anyway, but now it's just like straight up, to the elbow, under the nails, back of the hand, <laughs> base of the palm, everything gets, gets done. Before I eat hand sanitizer, after I eat hand sanitizer, you know, before the con, everything. And it's working, and people make fun of me because of all the hand sanitizer I go through, but it works. So there. You're like, hey, I'm not sick, and you are, so who wins? Yeah, and there's like that sense of satisfaction on Twitter when everyone's all like, oh god, con crud, fuck. And I'm like, ha like, I'm very healthy, I think I'll go ride a bike now. <laughs> exactly, it's like, oh yeah, you were laughing at me before, but now. Yeah. It's like, come over to my side of the fence, it's so awesome over here. Yeah, bathe in hand sanitizer, it works. <laughs> It's like, we're having so much fun over here not being sick. Ooh. Oh, you want to hear me breathe? <laughs> <sighs> Listen to those, oh, those those clear air passages. It's like, oh, oh, yeah. oh, it's so good. Oh, I just can eat it up. Look at that. Look at that. I'm just getting it so much air. <laughs> I'm using up so much of your oxygen right now. How do you feel? Exactly. <laughs> but well, yeah, I'm... I'm my workload has, um, just con-wise, travel-wise, has been bumped up significantly mm-hmm. this past couple of years, and, um, you know, you develop routines, you develop, uh, things you do that, you know, to your mind, they work, so you keep them up, and the hand sanitizer thing is one thing I do, and when I'm traveling, uh, I actually really hate traveling, I hate the plane, mm-hmm. so what I, when I'm the one making the reservations, what I do is I schedule my flight for about four or five in the morning that's like my ideal hour Mm -hmm. and i don't sleep the day before oh so when i get on the plane i fall asleep immediately (laughs) and it takes maybe you know three four hours to get where i'm going and i am on a good flight i am asleep Mm -hmm. that entire time i always talk about my favorite flight ever okay it was a flight to california where 
I fell asleep as the plane took off, and what woke me up was the thump of the landing gear hitting the ground on in oh, California. Oh, that is so perfect. It's like... Yes, it was the... I, I knew I was going to be in pursuit of that ideal flight <laughs> the rest of my life. <laughs> It's like I, it's like experiencing the white whale when it's like I saw him. Now I have to chase it again. <laughs> exactly. It's I, I. I mean, every flight now is sort of my attempt to recreate that magic moment. It's like it's never going to be perfect again. Never, but I can try. Exactly, and that's the that's the real point. There is that you try and you try and you try. Yeah. Exactly. So with you doing now having to bump up your schedule, like do you um, do you have like particular ones that you will always hit do you try to change it up every year oh should i explain myself a little bit perhaps why not okay okay just real real quick preface everybody there we okay. go hi i'm spike what's up <laughs> hi spike um, <laughs> hi spike i run a publishing company called iron circus comics i founded it in 2007 as a self-publishing imprint and in the ensuing 10 years it has grown to be the largest publisher in chicago illinois mm. it has 2,000 square feet in downtown Chicago, and it has mm, prints like four or five books a year, and um, we print all kinds of things, although we're probably best known for the Smut Peddler series mm-hmm. of erotica collections. Although in 2016, we had our first Eisner nomination with uh, The Less Than Epic Adventures of TJ and Amal, which is E.K. Weaver's webcomic, and it was fantastic and amazing, and she allowed me to print it and sort of shepherd it into the real world in a full, complete omnibus volume, and that was a great experience. But um, that is me. That's what I'm doing. I'm. It's gotten to the point now where I'm doing like 10, 12, 13 cons a year, and uh, most of those are they're invitee, so people actually write me and they ask me to come, mm-hmm. but there are two or three I really, really enjoy and I try to do every year, and one of them is ECCC, which is the con I met you at, Emerald City Comic Con. Yes, yes. That is in Seattle, and it is... I, I See, I don't want to call it a mainstream con, but it is. It's probably the only mainstream con that I do, willingly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, it's got a really great vibe. The people who organize it actually like comics and want something there, and that's really important. You'd think that you know that would just be what Comic Cons should be about, but a lot of them, yeah, are like m- m- way more corporate run than anything else. Yeah, honestly, um, this is the thing I always tell people when I talk about cons I don't do because mm-hmm. every once in a while someone will be like, "Hey, you should come to, for example, um, Phoenix Comic Con or yeah. something like that," and I'll say, I, "Yeah, I don't, I don't really do Phoenix because it says Comic Con in the name, but by and large." It is a media con, and when you get all forms of media together, and when I mean media, I'm talking television, movies, you know, everything, and and include comics in the mix, comics will always come out the loser, because comics cannot compete audience-wise with movies and television. Yeah. And and that's just like a sheer numbers game. Mm -hmm. And if you decide you want to pursue, and again, this is like a choice every con can make. It's totally up to them, and if that's their choice, that's cool. (laughs) <laughs> but if you want to pursue, like, the TV stars and the movie stars and have them be your special guests, people who are going to come to your con are people who are going to be interested in TV and movie stars and not necessarily comics people. Yeah. And that will shake out on the con floor when I'm trying to make back expenses, you know? I'm, mm. And Phoenix Comic Con comes up in particular because that was a con that I did with friends for a couple of years 
and one year we were just in the hotel room and we understood that you know this is our last year doing famous comic-con for sure yeah and we we tweeted and we just said hey if anybody in arizona wants books from us come down and get them sunday because we won't be back and everyone was like but why (laughs) like because this is the kind of con now where people are coming to pay $50 for a celebrity autograph and to take a photograph with um, somebody who was in Game of Thrones. And, yeah. Or, you know, like, just... And again, there's like, that. that is fine. Like, I don't have a yeah. problem with that. But that kind of con, I do not make a profit at, so I cannot do it. Mm-hmm. I am a for-profit business. <laughs> at the end of the day, I have rent to pay out a warehouse. You know, I have business insurance. I have all kinds of bills that need to be seen to. And if a con doesn't pay for me because it decides to shift its focus to television and film, I can't keep doing it. And it's it's one of those uh, things that, you know, it, it, it peeps, you know, not peeps, but it comes up and uh, crops up in uh, conversations that I've had with various people on the show and everything. It's just the business side of comics, which isn't isn't something that you know the average comic goer or the average con goer is really aware of like they no. they they just assume that a comic book springs forth from your forehead you know fully <laughs> realized and and totally ready to go yeah. and print and and really it's like it's it's much more the burden of the of the uh of the cost is always on you the creator oh absolutely i mean what i talk about um this is like my favorite thing ever I run Iron Circus with basically me and my husband when he gets home from his job he handles all the stuff you don't have to explicitly be me to do Mm -hmm. is how I describe his work so he handles customer service and shipping a lot Mm -hmm. those are his his primary domains and when people hear about Iron Circus basically being a 1.5 person business is how I how I describe it nowadays uh they're very surprised. They're like, "Oh wow, it's only it's only you and him, huh?" And I always counter with, "Archie Comics is three people." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Behind the facade, a lot of comic companies are not all that big. We don't actually need to be that big. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong; there are definitely some out there with like five hundred employees. But I'm I am definitely not one of them. And chances are, your favorite like alternative press. I'd be shocked if it was over like ten people, full time salaried employees. Yeah, like it's just it's just not an industry that you know in, it supports it, that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah, or that it necessarily has to, but it's more like if you want to get that promotion that is necessary as well, and you need to go to the cons to do that, and it's just. Because what I hear is that not only are the booths getting more expensive, but then, I mean, one of the things with Emerald City this year uh, was that, you know, first of all, making it four days, which I did the four days, and I'm sure, and of course you, you probably did as well, but that's super exhausting. Oh, yeah. Oh, um, yeah, for sure. And then it was like the reduction of artist, uh, of artist Alley to a degree, or not allowing certain people in that for the most part, like, had they not been bought by Reed Pop, they they would have let in before. So it's like a lot of newcomers um, were kind of rejected in terms of getting space. And it's just like, yeah. you know, that's that's something that they need. Like, they need that exposure and whatever, you know, capacity is, is available to them. And so when you deny them that, it's just like you're, you're denying other voices, basically. Yeah, it's super rough out there. And honestly, um, there are some cons out there that I know for a fact that it's it's like they 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 will not get bigger like period they do not want to turn into into ECCC they they want to retain their sort of 
small press feel. Mm -hmm. And as a result, it's just been kind of a nightmare because they're very popular shows, but they exist in a finite space. And they are sort of facing ever-increasing numbers of people applying to be part of the show. But, you know, the building they're held in is not going to suddenly turn into a TARDIS and have (laughs) endless inside space. There will only ever be this many chairs and this many tables, but the number of people wanting to show is always getting higher. And they try and address it with sort of varying degrees of success. Like one show I know of has instituted a really informal every other year policy, which is they ask people, please only do the show every other year Hmm. so that everybody has a better chance of getting a spot. And that's pretty good as long as people adhere to the system. Mm -hmm. And other people have done, um, what's what I'm looking for, lottery systems, where they invite a certain number of people, but then the rest are put in a big, you know, like a big lotto ball spinner, and your name is picked out if you're lucky, and it's not picked out if you're not. And so it's basically the have, Hunger Games for comics? Um, yeah, it's it's kind of like, I, I personally have some misgivings about that system. Like, again, it's their con, and if that's how they want to run it, you know, that's fine. I'm not saying it's this great travesty of justice. Sure. But <laughs> at the same time, a lot of cartoonists, again, this is and this is like the business angle again. This is our business. This mm-hmm. is how we keep the lights on and buy the groceries. And when you apply to go to a show you know is incredibly profitable and incredibly popular and you know that'll pay your rent for the month, to be sort of put on, and I'm going to catch so much hell for this, to be put on equal footing Mm -hmm. with somebody who will be selling minis and prints and is maybe not trying to support a family you yeah. know yeah yeah and and so it i've i've had friends that try and get into some of these shows and they're waitlisted and when you go to the show the person who in theory you know there's no obvious direct correlation but the person who in theory took their space is like you know someone who didn't actually have a lot to show for themselves mm-hmm. <laughs> you know maybe it's their first con ever and they got super lucky and again 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 this not necessarily a terrible system and i don't want people like deciding this is me going oh this the lottery system sucks like i don't think it does but i'm saying it's imperfect kind of like all systems Mm -hmm. and it's people kind of doing the best they can with what they have if they can't get bigger yeah but it's like I, i i see i see the weaknesses in it from the angle of a person who is doing this for a living mm hmm and I, the con I'm talking about, I, I will honest, I will be totally honest, I have sort of a a rollover constant invite to this con. I am not going to be waitlisted or put on the, put on the, um, whatchamacallit, the, 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 put in the lottery anytime soon. And I am eternally fucking grateful for that. Yeah. I know people who are, and it just, it hurts to watch them be all like, Okay, I don't know what I'm going to do for, you know, this month. I just, I don't know what I'm going to do. I guess I'll have a sale. I guess I'll do some commissions. Yeah. But again, that brings up another thing. It's important to be flexible. (laughs) No, I mean, it's, it it really, like, it, it puts a lot of things into perspective in terms of just, like, the give and take of, you know, whatever side of the, of this business that you're on like no one ever really comes out getting exactly the the situation that they need unless you're i guess the marvel executives or something like that i mean they although honestly honestly here's the thing 
have nope. to excuse me, but go for it, man. <laughs> I am I am at that stage now, and this this amazes me. By the way, I am I am shocked and amazed every time this comes up. I'm at this stage in my career now where I feel it's safe to call me established. Mm-hmm. But with that stage comes sort of this belief from people who are ten to fifteen years younger than me that I Athenaed to go back to a metaphor you use, you know, I magically sort of manifested as stable and financially and critically successful and reasonably popular. And last week I was in, you know, high school and now here I am. It just sort of happened. It's like just... I emerged from the chrysalis after I turned 18 into what I am now. And it's like, wow, no. Like you're a beautiful wow. butterfly, Spike. Yeah, I know. It's like out of nowhere. And it's just like, no, for a fucking... 15 years I was struggling and wondering if this was even the right thing to do and being ignored or just feeling ignored and throwing shit against a wall and hoping stuff would stick and then it didn't and then struggling some more and trying desperately to get attention and wondering how to get attention like lying in bed and having some serious fucking dark night of the soul shit going (laughs) maybe I shouldn't be doing this Mm -hmm. but then no I fucking kept at it and I was lucky enough and I was sort of resourceful enough and I had enough breaks that it came together in the way it has Mm -hmm. and now I'm in a place where I'm comfortable and I'm happy and I get emails that go hey come to our con and I go sure let's do it and that feels incredibly good that level of validation feels really good Mm -hmm. but there are people who like have no idea how long it took me to get here (laughs) no that that's that's the thing I mean it's the the amount of work that you know uh, that you and and a lot of creators you know uh, put into what they do is staggering you know it's just it's but it's the work it's it's what any job is um, it is work it is absolutely work and to this day I still think about I have a friend who does a lot of the same cons as I do and she overheard at a con when I was not there she overheard just sort of like the, the perfect. Uh, it's like I hold this close to my heart because it's, it's so bizarre and delusional. Um, somebody was talking about their comic that they plan to make, mm-hmm. and they talked about how they plan to kickstart this comic. Gotcha. And they said, sort of offhandedly, clearly not knowing I would hear about it later. Yeah, well, you know, we're not all Spike. We can't just put whatever on Kickstarter and make a hundred thousand dollars. Oh God. <laughs> It's like, wow. Yeah, exactly. Like, apparently, I just sort of, like, knock on Kickstarter's door and go, hey, what's up? Uh, I'm going to need about Hundo this this week. And Kickstarter's like, you got it, Chief. Yeah, they're just like, like here, have all the money. Yeah, it's like, all of my projects, minimum a year, minimum a year <laughs> putting that shit together. It's like, wow. I guess, I guess though, when you're, like, young, because, oh, God, I can't believe I'm going to say this. Young people. <laughs> when you're young... <laughs> sort of there's a lot you haven't fucking figured out yet mm-hmm. so a lot of it does sort of seem like magic to you a lot of it does kind of seem just like the nature of the world like the way the the stars and the planets hang in the sky is just, it's they've always been there and they've always been like that you look at your industry and you see the people who are validated by the industry and working in their industry as successful professionals and mm-hmm. just think it they've always been there and it's always been like that it's like no like, you know, it's, it's, I've been there, I've been there, but no, trust me, no. 
Yeah, it's like it's it's not all Greek mythology over here. Some of it is just you know pagans trying to do what they do. Yeah, get... hard fucking work. Oh my god, it's like comics is not easy, and comics does not like you. You know? <laughs> no, exactly. I mean, and I what what I really love about like because you know following you on Twitter and everything is how fucking honest you are about all of this stuff. Like, yeah, I th- I think that sort of. Especially about the industry, like there, there are a couple of truisms that keep coming up, and one of them is if I had taken sort of the traditional route in comics, if I'd done it the way people were constantly telling me I'm supposed to do it, mm-hmm. which is putting proposals together and submitting them to this company and that company and the other company, going for ink tests, pencil tests, writing tests here, there, and the other place. If I did what I was supposed to do, and you have to imagine the big ass air quotes hanging around what I'm supposed to do. I would have quit comics 10 years ago, mm-hmm. like, because I wouldn't have gotten anywhere. So there is that. And what I have now, what I have being sort of Iron Circus and whatever meager cachet, whatever meager secret <laughs> I have in the industry, what I have now has grown out of necessity. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of, it, it has evolved over time, as it should, in my opinion. It has evolved over time into sort of, this is simply the way things are done, mm-hmm. so obviously I do them this way. But when I started kickstarting comics, and when I started making web comics and when I started doing what I'm doing, that shit was stuff people would attack you for. Yeah. They would tell you you were unprofessional and you would never have a career and this proved it, and you had a comic on the internet because no one cared about you and you weren't good enough to have an air quotes real comic. And you had a comic on Kickstarter because, you know, you you couldn't find a real publisher for it. So you had to e-bag and you had to hold your hat out like a hobo and blah, blah, blah. And so there was a lot of shit talking and punching down and a lot of just general sort of policing how I went about my business. Mm-hmm. And, you know, five years later, I'd say, like not even five years later, it's just become, well, that's just what you do mm-hmm. without really even link in between and if i was a salty bitch you know what i mean yeah yeah yeah. real salty about that like oh oh so we're just gonna pretend that everybody knows this is how it goes now and there is like no no one's going to admit I was right. No one. No, no it's one? it's that I I've I mean I didn't have this similar situation with comics, but it was with um like certain decisions I made with my family or whatever. Like I made a decision like when I was thirteen to stop seeing uh-huh. a certain side of my of my family. It was my, for you. Yeah, it was my dad's side. I wasn't. I just wasn't happy. You know, I I didn't want to be miserable and everything. Got shit for it for the next twenty years of my life. <laughs> Good for you, though. Honest to God, good for you. I think one of the more fucked up things about society is this sort of belief that your family can get away with fucking anything, but they're family, so you have to just grin and bear it and tolerate it. No, exactly. And, you know, it's... And then... My 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 father, like only in the last like year or two, finally you know came to the conclusion that he doesn't like doing a lot of this stuff with his side of the family either. And and, it, and when he made that decision, he he sounded like he'd had a revelation, as if it was the <laughs> first time he'd ever thought such a thing. And I'm just going like twenty goddamn years, twenty yeah. years getting endless shit from you, and you suddenly come over to where my side is, but you thought of it. Okay, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. That is, oh my god, that is, that's too fucking real. Yeah, I'm, I have a lot of friends who 
don't have, you know, great relationships with their family, you know, extended nuclear or otherwise, and they kind of each have to have sort of their own journey about it, you Mm -hmm. know what I mean? They need to sort of understand on some level, oh, wait, I don't actually fucking deserve to be treated this way. Right. And they handle it sort of their own way, but I, I, I just think that, honestly, it's like one of those things that you should be given, like, on... A bullet-pointed list when you turn 18. You know, it's like, your family does not have the right to abuse you. Your mm-hmm. family, you have no obligation to tolerate abuse from someone just because you share genetic material. Yeah. You know, just that. Like, if people could just, on, on sort of a more cultural level, if people were more willing to just be like, you know what, I don't fucking deserve this. You can talk to me when you feel like treating me like an adult, which I am later. You know, no, that for was, sure. Or how we approach it instead of, oh, God, I have to go home for Thanksgiving and I hate it because they make me cry every single time. And while I'm there, my mom's going to fucking sneer at me and my dad's going to get drunk and break stuff. I hate it. I hate it. Well, why are you going home? They're family. Yeah. It's like all of those like uh, family movies or like those lifetime movies where it's like, well, it's because you love them and you're related. It's like, no, fuck that shit. I don't have to be around these people. (laughs) Seriously. I'm an adult with a life of my own. Like life's too fucking short, man. Right. Oh, I I I wrote a thing for my because so my my nephew was born right after well not right after but after the election and everything. Yeah. I know. The the one thing I look forward to is the fact that so I was born when the Reagan administration started. So I was born in eighty four. And uh-huh. I don't remember anything about the Reagan administration. <laughs> so I consider this, like, however long it takes for the orange Julius Caesar to get out of office, yeah. my my nephew won't remember him as a president. That's so, a positive. Yeah, that's, sure. that's the big positive I take out of, you know, that one part. But I made a point to write a thing for him uh, after uh, he was born, just being like, I wrote it when he was like four days old. And I was just like, look, you're a little white boy. So here are some things you need to understand about the world around you, and here are the things you need to do. Um, So it's like, you're obligated to help other people. Like, I know it seems like a burden, but guess what, sweetheart? (laughs) It's like, you were born in a position of privilege that not everybody gets. Absolutely. You rolled a natural 20. Right, exactly. (laughs) And you had no idea that you were rolling. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And it's, honestly, um, I... God, I, this, I don't want to say anything about this, like, now, because who knows how this will wash out in, like, two years. I know how I hope it washes out, but yeah. I, I can't say. I'm not, you know, psychic, so I can't say. But psychic. it's just, I feel, and I, 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 I don't know how much of this is me wanting it super bad to be true, and I don't know how much of it is genuinely informed by my, my news intake, mm-hmm. because now I'm... I'm really hyper aware. I don't want to be one of those people that lives in a bubble and only watches and listens to news that, you know, affirms what I already believe. So I've been trying super hard to, you know, intake unbiased news sources. And I found that the most, the, you know, I'll say the least prone to bias when it comes to sort of American news mm-hmm. tends to be the BBC. Yeah. And so I listen to like BBC stuff a lot. And, It feels, and not just feels, but it seems from what I've seen, and I'm talking about Women's March when the, you know, air quotes, Muslim ban was packed and all the airports and all the major American cities were packed with lawyers and protesters and people going, oh, no, you fucking don't. Yeah. Like, it feels as if 
Trump has kind of galvanized the left from sort of a torpor. Like, we, it's, mm-hmm. like it's almost kind of like that sleeping giant affect, where it's like, suddenly people are more awake than they've been in a very long time. Mm-hmm. And people are more determined than they've been in a very long time. And it's less about appeasement, and it's less about um, sort of cooperation. It's more about, no, this is how it's going to fucking go. Yeah. You know, and it's, 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 it's kind of almost, it's a shame this is what it took, but it's kind of exciting to see that. It's kind of exciting to see politicians actually uttering the phrase universal basic income and, you know, <laughs> yeah. Medicaid for all and mm-hmm. stuff that five years ago people would have been like, slow down. Yeah. You know? So it's like part of me wants to believe that this is a kick in the ass for America and it's one that it needed. Mm-hmm. But part of me is also like, how bad could this reasonably get? No, I... The answer is really fucking bad. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I'm, I'm in the same boat you are, like, where it's just like, there's this energy of, like, all right, like, activism and people are, you know, looking out for each other in, in ways that they weren't before, and, yeah. and, and especially for white people, it's, it's just like, hey guys, guess what? It sucks. Yeah. Like, it's... It's not working out well for anybody right now, but uh, maybe we want to be on the good side over here, like on the right side of history. Yeah, yeah, that's honestly a big part of it. It's just sort of almost the the willing blindness of people. It's like, we all grew up, yeah, you you would be that age. You're basically, you know, within a few years of me. So Mm -hmm. you would grow up with history books, and you sit down, and you open the history book, and in it is a scene of, like, the, the, the Little Rock five or Little Rock four or however many there were. I'm, I'm a bad black person. I don't remember how many. But, like, the people who were the first to sort of integrate their schools mm-hmm. and you see the crowds of these, like, hateful white faces all twisted and screaming and holding their shitty signs and just, like, maniacal with their hatred. Yeah. And you, you look at them and you go, Jesus, you fucking trash. Yeah, you know? It, and and it, it's like, that's gonna be you, dude! Yeah, no, like and... Exactly, like when you're a kid and 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 you have, I mean, because some kids are just like they're more precocious about like how they see the world and everything. But when you look at those faces and you're like, really, like seriously, like what you know, and and, and uh, like when the so when the tea party stuff actually started happening, I was still in college and I was uh, I'm I'm an American history major for the the revolution through around the Civil War. So a friend of mine like texted me, I was, I was like grading papers and she's just like, Hey, there's a bunch of tea party people up by, you know, uh, whatever town was closest enough. She's like, you want to, <laughs> maybe you might want to go and tell them exactly why taxation was a big deal. Oh my God. I just wanted to go up there and be like, you're doing it wrong. You don't even understand your own history. Like, I'm honestly just sort of picturing these like grandchildren like looking at their grandparents with these blank faces in like 40 50 years and just going so you didn't want health insurance yeah like, and like how do you explain that in a way that doesn't make you look like a complete asshole yeah and it, it's always like i mean and and that's what happens like 
they they get whatever platform that they get and they explain themselves and it's the rationality the the yeah. calm cool rationality that that pisses me off more than anything because they don't see themselves as wrong they don't feel shame um like i was i was talking with my my dad about this actually the other day and i was just like i want them to i want all of them everyone in the administration everyone in like specifically trump and betsy devos but i'll take all of them uh, yeah. I want them in carts, and I want them uh, carted <laughs> through, like, Washington, D.C. Like, he has to make the, the same walk up to the Capitol or to the White House, whatever the hell, that he did before, only he's in a cart, and everyone gets some rotten fruit. We just <laughs> chuck it at them. <laughs> Honestly, what what I can't help but picture is just, like, it's like, I don't know, it's like, part of me is just... Okay, here's the thing. Uh, this mm-hmm. is something that I think a lot of brown and black people say just in general. Mm-hmm. But when this sort of wave of like suddenly it's okay and cool to be a Nazi and no, no, wait, let the, let the Nazi speak for a moment yeah. came about. Mm-hmm. And there was this lot of white shock at it. Like part of me was a little bit validated. Yeah. Because it's like, oh, I'm sorry, did you think I was kidding? <laughs> you know? <laughs> did you think that I wasn't that like, so you didn't believe me, didn't believe me, didn't believe me. But now suddenly it's real. Yeah, no, so it goes back I to like, the... No, from you, exactly. At what point did I stop being an exaggerating liar? Because mm-hmm. that's what I was until you turned on the news today. Yeah, no, it's it's the same situation with comic books and what we were talking about with family. It's like, you, you're speaking the truth. You're speaking your truth as well. And then everyone else is like, no, no, we're just going to give you shit about it until they discover it. And then suddenly it's like, my God, did you not know this? Like... Oh no, seriously, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like this is the same thing. It's like when Black Lives Matter was um, first getting organized and everyone's all like, oh, you're blowing this way out of proportion. And now there's like literal fucking Sig Heiling, you know, at, yeah. at like the presidential swearing in and people are all, all aghast. It's like, what did you think we were fucking kidding? Yeah, it's like, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, there's like every yeah. day it's like, what new fresh hell do I have to experience to. Although I have to say, one of the things that has been pretty reassuring mm-hmm. is, um, like, deep deep down in his heart, it's like, in his every action, it's pretty obvious that Trump wishes he was some kind of despot, because he's not actually particularly interested in the process of lawmaking. Of course, yeah. He just likes to sign unenforceable executive orders that have absolutely no legal ground to stand on, the ACLU is like, are you for real? And then, like, you know, filed a motion against three seconds after it's signed and it's never entered into law. Mm-hmm. It's like these empty gesture proclamations for appeasing, like, the drooling rabble that elected him. And it's just like, he, he signs these things in, and the ACLU Twitter, ACLU Twitter is just like, really? Yeah. You know, it's like, just like, okay, well, cute, <laughs> means nothing, unenforceable, so, um... See you in court. Good for you. You, you feel like a big man now? It's like that, that oh, it, meant nothing and did nothing. It's it's all about... I mean, just from the beginning, it was just he just wanted to win. He wanted to yeah. win, and he wanted to, you know, basically, like, uh, you know, stick it to Obama. Uh, like, everything he's done has been, like, let's turn over everything that the Obama administration did that was a positive for this country. Quite honestly, I don't even think that was his goal. I think early on, I think he was just advertising his bullshit TV show. Mm. I didn't think he honestly just started running for president thinking he would be elected president. I really don't. Oh, for, and, yeah, no, I, I I believe that too. It just, it happened yeah. because the Russians were like, well, we, let's just try this one out. And even the Russians were like, well, yeah. that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, we're the fucking 
laughing stock of the globe now, and it's just one of those things where it's like, oh, well, the, the least we could do is get him impeached as quickly as possible. Right. Oh. I think my, my office... Years, but, yeah. yeah. My office has a pool. I think we're starting a, a pool to see, like, how long it'll take. I'm going to say 2018. 2018? Yeah. My money's on 2018. Um, he'll flounder... He'll flail around for a while. He'll probably do two or three shitty things that'll take five or ten years to undo. Mm. And then in 2018, I think things will start actually getting fire under him. Yeah. Yeah. Someone was talking about, like... I mean, I... Because I didn't really understand how federal uh, federal prosecuting works, and I know that it now now I know it takes a very long time for a case to be built and yeah. whatnot. So yeah, I was like, if he doesn't resign by Christmas, I mean, it's like, yeah. But then there's my... definitely an out by Christmas theory out there. I've seen people say that they they feel as if he'll be out by Christmas. Yeah. But... Uh, I'm not feeling it. It took us six months to get this far, you know? Yeah. No, my, my sister reminded me, and rightly so. She was, was like, you know, his ego won't allow him to resign. I was like, yeah, no, you make a good point there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's just, uh, <laughs> I was reading a bunch of Twitters of people who are like White House correspondents or Capitol Hill correspondents or whatever for various newspapers and networks. And one of them, said this thing that was just as if it was a love letter written directly to me and signed with XOXO at the very bottom, which was someone said, a reporter said, I asked a longtime GOP aide how he thinks this will shake out. His reply, like Reservoir Dogs, everyone's going to wind up dead on the floor. Oh. I know, right? That is so good. That's like the best quote. It's like, wait, who's Mr. Pink? Like, which one of them? Everybody fucking turning on each other. You know what I mean? Oh, my God. Because the thing is, like, like, he has no loyalty. Mm -hmm. Trump has no loyalty. He has no one. And it's because no one's behind him. That's why he has no loyalty. Like, it's everybody's there using each other. And if one of them has enough on someone else to avoid going down harder than strictly necessary, he'll mm-hmm. flip like a burger. Oh, and for sure. Once the flipping stops, starts, you know, that's when the whole, the dominoes just start falling line by line, and that's when the real fun begins. And I, I, I genuinely think we're like two years out from that because the GOP is determined to do literally fucking nothing. Oh my god. Like, the, I think that's the more the most frustrating they thing. They are rep- yeah, it's like every time I see Mitch McConnell's like turtle face, I'm just kind of like, I want you to go down in flames. I know. It's like he's a disgusting human being. Yeah. He's an actively disgusting. Like that fucking health care bill that they pushed through the house. Fuck. That is satanic. Yeah. And not in a well, I, did you, did, yeah, did, not not the good part of Satanism, man's like, yeah. which actually the Seattle, there's a Seattle Satanic uh, group, and they're actually very nice people. <laughs> I love the Church of Satan, straight up. That's why I say Satanic about it. Hey, Church of Satan, what's up? Hi. No, I love them because they're amazing trolls and they're perfect people. Yeah. And when I say trolls, they are like righteous, chaotic, good trolls. Mm-hmm. They are the people, I'm sure I don't need to tell you, but in yeah. case anyone here is listening doesn't know, <laughs> they are the people that when a state legislature, you know, to appease its far-right constituency, passes some law and installs a Ten Commandments monument in front of the Capitol Hill, mm. the Church of Satan rolls up and goes, oh, hey, cool, hey, what's up, yeah, um, we would like to install this statue of Baphomet caressing children in front of the state hall. What do you mean we can't? You're not showing favoritism to one religion, are you? Because what? We are legally a religion, mm-hmm. so we, we should, I mean, if 
you're okay with religious expression, I want to put Baphomet on Capitol Hill. Why can't I? Why are you saying no? <laughs> and, like, that is beautiful. And so They wonderful. do that constantly. Like, there's a school where people were making a bunch of fuss about, well, I want to hand out my Christian pamphlets on the school grounds. Mm-hmm. And the Church of Satan straight up showed up <laughs> with satanic pamphlets. It was all like, oh, are we handing out pamphlets? Cool, neat, rad. Um... I've got a few here mm-hmm. about Satanism. How Satan is great. Yeah. I love what do you mean I can't? You aren't showing favoritism for one religion, <laughs> are you? And like that is trolling put to a good cause, mm-hmm. exposing like hypocrisy. And I just, I fucking, I love the Church of Satan for that. <laughs> I love that shit. I want, I want that quote. I want your quote. I love the Church of Satan to go on like a like a billboard somewhere. Like. No, they are fucking good ass. No, exactly. I mean, and and that's the thing. It's like there, again. It's this weird, not weird, but it's this sense of emboldenment, emboldenment, yeah. whatever the hell it is. Um, I should know words, but I don't today. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I write good, <laughs> like, uh, but yeah, the like there. I was talking to a coworker about these videos that are coming out of people recording, like in um, in supermarkets, where this uh, this one Muslim woman. Just let this white lady, you know, get ahead of her in, in line at the grocery store. And then this woman, like, goes off on her. She's like, you shouldn't be in this country and blah, blah, blah. It's like, like, what the hell, lady? No one asked you anything. Like, how did that happen? Like, Quite honestly, I think stuff like that is stuff that has kind of always happened. It's just now everyone's, uh, it's like, what is it that Cory Doctorow called it? Little brother? Mm. It's like people were worried for decades about big brother, but frankly, big brother should be worried about little brother. Yeah. And little brother is everyone having a camera in their pocket. And interesting things have happened now that everyone has that camera. Despite the fact everyone has one, we still don't see a whole lot of Bigfoots and UFOs, but you know what we do see? Racism? Yeah. Racism and sexism and transphobia mm-hmm. and just all kinds of horseshit that, you know, People have been telling you it's been there for years, but for some reason you didn't believe them. Yeah. Now, now suddenly, like, it's all, I mean, it's, it, you know, if you're yeah. on Twitter, it's all over the place. You know, there's videos, there's, yeah. I mean, the... And I would argue that it's not more frequent. Mm-hmm. I would argue it's just easier to capture in real time. Yeah. I no. Really that was, um, uh, so when I was in school, uh, so I'm, I'm an archivist by trade. Uh, and one of the things we discussed was in, in terms of, you know, archiving social media, uh, because it is a very, um, a fleeting kind of thing, but also yeah. when you, you, when you make the, like the aggregate of everything, like you can archive these moments in history. I mean, uh, this was, I mean, this was before Black Lives Matter, but the Egyptian revolution, uh, that yeah, happened. Yeah. So, like, people were for really, like, not since I, the comparison was the Vietnam War, basically, uh, with with media, like the for the first time, people were experiencing in real time an event happening, and the only news source that was reliable was the one using Twitter, you know. Yeah. And so, to like be able to capture those moments is is ridiculously important to people in my profession because it's like these are things that the historians are going to need later on, or people will need, you know, uh, it, it, as soon as possible, so that they can kind of see what was happening. Um, yeah. And I think Twitter just updated its, you know, how it's, how it's, um, caching, uh, uh-huh. tweets and it's not good. It's not good for us. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, I actually remember reading about 
about how how much sort of police and authority uh, authoritarian regimes disliked Twitter because mm-hmm. it made it incredibly difficult to track people down and track movements and stuff if you you know wanted it to be like you could turn off certain things mm-hmm. and I remember thinking well if authoritarian assholes hate it it must be worth something yeah exactly it's like 200 despots can't be wrong yeah I remember for a while there there was um there were a lot of black lives matter actions that were organized via social media and there was straight up bullshittery in like terms of there was one that happened at mall of america and it was a big deal mm-hmm. and then news circulated there was going to be a second one at mall of america on twitter and on facebook and whatever and of course you know the day came and the cops were out in force they were all over mall of america and they're fucking jerk off wish i was in the army gear and of course it had been a fucking bullshit you know um it had been a trick yeah like planted it the actual action was like across town <laughs> It's like, oh, like, when I was watching the news earlier today, there's this guy for my local station that they call him, like, the live desk reporter. Like, so he's, he's basically his job is to read Twitter. Oh, no! Like, I look at this guy every time he shows up and I'm like, really? Like, did you go to school for journalism so that you could just read Twitter on a camera? I honestly think that, yeah, like, people on CNN are all like, let's go to the social media stream. (laughs) You know, exactly. And there was an event that was actually like live, like uh, at the Museum of Flight uh, in Seattle. And the weatherman was there, not the dude from the live desk reporting. It's like, that's an actual live event. Shouldn't you be there? Why is the weather guy there? (laughs) Apparently, like he's going to read about the Museum of Flight thing on Twitter to people on camera. That's how that works. Journalism has has changed a lot, and, you know, news reports has changed a lot, too. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, um, it's kind of reminiscent of one of those things, one of my pet peeves, is facts being a matter of opinion and being treated as if they're a matter of opinion. Yeah. And I think the news media kind of feeds into this. And a perfect example would be all like, um, evolution, (laughs) is it a fact to be taught in school? or should schools keep it to themselves? <laughs> and it's like, it's a poll. It's like, no, here's the thing. It, it, it's science. Yeah. It doesn't really give a shit what you think. Like, this is not a debatable but, subject. It's like, you can't, you can tell me you don't believe in Jupiter. Mm-hmm. Jupiter is still there. <laughs> Jupiter was there before we knew Jupiter was there. Exactly. Jupiter will continue to be there in all likelihood long after we're gone. It's not a matter of opinion, Jupiter's mm-hmm. existence. And, uh, evolution is not true or false depending on how you feel. It's do you accept that this is the most scientifically pos- plausible origin of mankind or not? Mm-hmm. You can say I don't accept evolution the same way you can like not accept your wife's divorce papers, <laughs> you know, but <laughs> they're still there. Yeah. <laughs> I choose not to believe in gravity, therefore I feel as if I can fly. It's like, well, you're gonna die, so. Exactly. <laughs> and that's like that's the kind of thing. I think, I think education, just in general in this country, is like severely lacking, especially when it comes to sort of reason and sort of deductive thinking and mm-hmm. sort of critical thinking specifically. No. Where basically, if it makes 
you uncomfortable, you don't have to believe it. it has been sort of this thing where it's like it's been accepted as like a valid way to go through life. No, ex- like- exactly. No, like in um, like the the best thing that I got out of my education was how to think critically. I mean, it's yeah. I mean, and it's not just indicative of a history program that I had, but it's it should be indicative of any. A particular major that should teach you how to think, like, uh, or or to interrogate information, um, yeah, beca- yeah. because that's what you need. That's a skill that you need to be, to exist in the real world. Um, and I saw I, this was a while back that there was uh, there's some schools that are actually in in elementary school. There are some classes that are actually teaching kids how to spot fake news. That's actually really cool, right? And and the thing is like it's born out of the times and out of the necessity of it too, because it's like, if the kids are with parents who don't know how to do it, then they're not necessarily going to get the skills either, unless someone actively goes out there to teach them how to do it. Yeah. And absolutely. I just, I, I, I think this, ah, I just, I, I'm so genuinely bothered by someone deciding the truth is uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And yeah. deciding not only do they not believe something that is verifiably true, but the world must now be reshaped to accommodate their discomfort with the truth. Right. No, I mean, uh, I've had that, I've had that problem, especially with like religious practice for so long. Yeah, and it's it's political too, though, Mm -hmm. you know, it's in like multiple facets of life where it's just like this urge and it's, and the problem is, it's like I've read all these articles and like studies and they, they talk about how resilient the human brain is when it comes to being challenged and how literally being presented with evidence you are wrong only makes you double down. Yeah. And there's, like, no way to fix it that anyone has figured out yet reliably, and it's just so frustrating to think about. It's like, well, I call this method the ball-peen hammer method, and <laughs> it just yeah, means... the only thing I can think we could do to short, you know, to cut this off at the past is just, like, sit down children Mm -hmm. and just be like here's the thing when you're presented with evidence contradictory to what you want to be true you're going to not to want you're going to want to not believe it and you need to be aware this will be your impulse because being aware that this will be your impulse gives you a fighting fucking chance yeah (laughs) just want to like get grab a a group of kids and you know not in a weird way but you're just like hey come over here and like uh, I'm going to teach you some, some lessons here, like, straight up, because uh, I don't know if everyone else is going to do that for you. But here's some simple truths. <laughs> like, yeah. Hey, everyone, it turns out the Smilodon had big old wacky, you know, hound dog jowls covering its giant, cool fang teeth, and it, and it didn't have these big fangs sticking out, and everyone goes, no, that's not cool! <laughs> ah, wait, though. Hmm. Wait. See, you're having that reaction right now. Hmm. You know, just stuff like that, where it's, like, tamp down that desire to scream no and it's just you have built this house for yourself of lies and and you know what i'm not even sitting here going i'm perfect not by any stretch of the imagination Mm -hmm. i just i just think it's so it's such an important part of being a functional adult to, to to know and to recognize when oh i i've been probably wrong about this and i've probably been wrong for a long time and, and, and I'm having this impulse to ignore this new information so I can continue to be wrong. Yeah. Oh, dear. You know, it's like, that's so valuable. No, the, I think a lot of people don't do that and don't, are not taught to do that. 
No, the, the, the lack of curiosity sometimes is, is, is really, uh, is just as frustrating because it's just like, yeah. guys, there's so much stuff out there. There's so yeah. many amazing things. Like I've, I've always felt like in terms of like my, my own, um, interest in fandom is that I, for some of them, I'll go pretty deep, but for a lot of them, I stay fairly surface to like dipping my toe in a little bit. Yeah. Because there's just so many things that I find fascinating that I can't necessarily commit to one or two things. Like, no, but this is really cool. But this is also really cool. And so are these 500 other things. Yeah. So, but I, I don't know if, like, it's just a general lack of curiosity or people are just, or that curiosity is stifled so early on that it just never gets to come to fruition. I think a lot of it is just being comfortable. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of it is not being forced to learn and adapt and grow. Yeah. And I think a lot of people sort of, when presented with something challenging, they have the option to go, nah. Yeah. And they do. And, you know, so, and there is no impetus on them to change in any way, so why bother? Change, people. Come on. (laughs) Uh, And again, this is something that everyone listening to this, if you're all nodding along, you know, while I'm while I'm saying all this, please make a promise to yourself that if you have believed that X equals Y for twenty years and tomorrow you read an article that says X equals Z, I don't want you to instantly shut it and go play Pokemon Go. <laughs> I want you to go, Oh, I have an urge to close this window. Maybe I should keep reading. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about this bullshit sort of every single opinion is worthy of debate and consideration thing because no not every single opinion is is worthy of debate and consideration right for example hey everyone i think every cat on earth should be killed as painfully as possible that's my opinion (laughs) is that worthy of debate no that's fucking bullshit and you understand that right yeah it's also super creepy yeah you know what i mean it's just like these days people are treating super creepy opinions like oh i am somehow obligated to sit down and take this person seriously for a certain number of minutes. Well, and it's also this and misunderstanding of... With, sorry. Uh, and provide them with a, a, a sort of carefully considered and cited rebuttal. It's like, no, that's bullshit. You're not. No. Stupid, stupid arguments do not require your attention or your re- reputation because they're stupid. The argument's bad and you should feel bad. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's this misunderstanding of what actual free speech is. Like, that's, yeah. that's where it really stems from, like, half the time when people are like, it's it's a matter of free speech. Like, no, it's a matter of, you know, out of free speech, I don't have to listen to you either. It's like One of the most amazing things about people who scream free speech is they say something, and they're shouted down and called a fucking idiot. Mm-hmm. And they say free speech. It's like, the response to what you just said is also free speech. Exactly. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, did you it's read like, the First Amendment? Like, <laughs> again, it's one of those things where it's like... the the most concise statement is, you know, free speech means the government is not persecuting you for saying what you're saying. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that you can say whatever you want, consequence-free. Exactly. Every, a lot of things, I'm not going to say everything you say, but a lot of the things you say will have consequences. And you are not entitled to a consequence-free life. Mm-hmm. Especially if your opinions are odious and dehumanizing and trash. Exactly. You know? But at the same time, it's, it's, I want you, everyone out there, if you click an article in The Atlantic or Scientific American or, or National Geographic or some other newspaper like that or, or magazine, and it's talking about something that 
you think you know about, but this article concisely presents facts that counter what you think you know, and those facts are real, and those facts are verifiable, and you look at them, and you have that impulse to go, now! <laughs> I want you to understand, I want you to sort of pluck that impulse from your breast and hold it before you and examine it and go, I know what you are. And I, I am actually going to take five fucking minutes, I'm going to hold you away from myself, and I'm going to consider new information. And if that new information is valid, I'm going to reconsider my opinion on this subject. Because I think there are people out there who never ever do that. Yeah. I fucking love you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you! I just like to talk, frankly. No, well, that's perfect for for a podcast, quite frankly. I mean, like, and at this point, it's like, so comics? Uh... Yeah, yeah, comics, anyway. Oh, yeah, let's talk about comics. I mean, comics, everyone. Um, What is this going up? I'm sorry. I'm I'm breaking the fourth wall. What is this going up? Uh, No, this will go up next Friday. No, I was genuinely going to ask you about uh, uh, as the crow as the crow flies because there's what twenty days left as of this recording. As of this recording, it just ticked over into nineteen. Uh, as the crow flies is a book that will be published by Iron Circus Comics. Hey, that's me, <laughs> and it is by Eisner nominated cartoonist <laughs> Melanie Gilman, and they are. I'm pretty sure they're like some kind of comics fellow in Colorado right now. Mm. I don't quite remember the details, but suffice to say, they are an amazing creator. They're an amazing artist. They're basically, I'm sure they're not like the only one on this big, you know, big wide world, but they're the only (laughs) cartoonist I'm currently aware of who is doing like exquisite watercolor, like pencil work, Mm -hmm. like um, colored pencil work in web comics. And it is a delight to look at. And they are doing a comic called As the Crow Flies. And it is about a girl named Charlie who is black, queer, and more or less trapped, if you want to be a little dramatic, mm. at a all-white Christian backpacking camp for a week in the summer. And it's about Charlie's experiences there. And Charlie's sort of at that age, you know, she's like 13-ish. And mm-hmm. So she's she's not an adult, not by miles. But no. You know, she's She's developing and she's getting older and starting to think for herself. And she's starting to question things, question the power structure around her and question God and question people with preconceived notions and question the intent and the deeply held beliefs of adults in her life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's a coming of age story for Charlie. And it's a fantastic comic. And it's still... In, in progress right now, so what I'll be doing for Mel is I'll be publishing the first volume of As the Crow Flies, and hopefully, you know, in a year or two, we'll, we'll do the second volume, but right now, this is for the first half, and it is such a wonderful comic, mm-hmm. and if you are a try-before-you-buy kind of person, so am I, you know, <laughs> you can go to Melanie Gilman, M-E-L-A-N-I-E, Gilman, G-I-L-L-M-A-N, MelanieGilman.com and read As the Crow Flies from top to tail. The whole thing. It's online. Mm -hmm. And if you like what you see, back the Kickstarter. Support this awesome cartoonist. This Eisner Award nominated cartoonist. (laughs) 
Yeah. So, yeah. My exquisite taste. Um, <laughs> go ahead, back it on Kickstarter, support the art, support the artists, and get this book out there in, in libraries and in schools, and give it to, you know, your little baby cousin or something, get it out where everybody can find it, where the Charlies, and Sydney is another character in the comic, and I'm not talking about her a lot, because I... Just, you have to read it, yeah. and, and just sort of check check the comic out, it's awesome, and you know, if you're in a generous mood, there's actually a tier on Kickstarter where you can back it, get get a copy for yourself, and get a copy for a deserving friend, library, biker gang, Girl Scout troop. You know? I want the biker gang. <laughs> yeah, exactly, just head on down to the Hells Angels and go, you guys like comics, right? Oh, hey, wait, Church of Satan, you want that, right? Let's get... <laughs> Oh yeah, they're they're super open minded guys. Come on. Yeah, go for it. So yeah, as the crow flies, just search that on Kickstarter. We're in the the comic section. We're a selected, you know, a, a project we love by Kickstarter. So that's pretty awesome. Yay. We got a shout out in the most recent Kickstarter newsletter. There was a feature on Autostraddle, and it, it it's just been the response has been really great. We could still use some funding, but things are going really good. So check us out, everybody. Definitely, yeah, and uh, and I'll put a link to it um, in yep, the. Yeah, uh, thank you. I'd appreciate that. Exactly. Well, and and I know we're at a little bit over an hour, but if you if you would entertain one one more question from me, perhaps. Knock yourself out. Yeah, on. excellent. Because um, I was curious about like what you know what is your vetting process for making your kickstarters now? I mean, uh, it started with you know your your own work with uh, Templar Arizona, right? Yeah, my webcomic. Yeah, with your webcomic. So now what is your, how do you determine what you're going to do for the next Kickstarter at this point? All my Kickstarters at this point are are plotted out slightly over a year in in advance. Mm -hmm. Kickstarters are determined by multiple factors. One of the important things is, do I feel this will fund Mm. on Kickstarter? That obviously needs to be a yes. Another one is sort of based it's not the determining factor, but it is based on the online presence of the creator because Kickstarter, by its nature, it is an online, it's a site, it's a website. Yeah. And people who have a web presence are going to do better on Kickstarter than people who have no web presence. And that's just sort of a simple fact of life. Web presence people are going to have certain social media and they're going to have certain uh, blogs or posts or just manifestations of themselves online that they can call into action and send towards their Kickstarter because I think the thing a lot of people get wrong about Kickstarter is you don't go there to find an audience. Audience, It's a place you direct your audience to. Mm-hmm. While you will get funding from people on your project that are just sort of browsing and, they, and you come up and they go, oh, well, that looks interesting, and they press the fun button, the majority of the money you get in any Kickstarter will come from people you have personally sent to the site. Yeah. People, um, to this day, my three biggest referrers, not counting the one where, because, again, if you run a Kickstarter, you will have access to this huge, complicated dashboard, and one of the things it features is incoming links, your referrers, mm-hmm. and my most popular referrer, every single time, without fail, is Twitter. Second most popular is Untraceable, which is a little frustrating. But I and third and fourth will, most of the time, be Facebook and Tumblr. Mm-hmm. And those are all social media. Those are all places I have a presence, and those are all places I basically announce my Kickstarters on and go, hey, everybody, I've got a new project up. Back it here. Yeah. And 
those people see, you know, they know me and they know what I make and they go, okay, new project and they go and see it. It's not me sort of grabbing a wheelbarrow and rolling it up to Kickstarter and putting it down and going, I'll take $20,000 this time, Johnny. (laughs) Johnny Kickstarter, you mean? Yeah, exactly. His name is Johnny Kickstarter. We're friends. So I just called him Johnny, actually. But but yeah, it's like whether it'll fund and um, the creator's presence online is, is, is very important. Um, how well it functions as a Kickstarter is very important, too. And by functions as a Kickstarter, I mean, is it something that will take to crowdfunding well? For example, personally, I feel I would not kickstart a ongoing project like if I was let's just pretend I was making a webcomic and the mm-hmm. webcomic was called Funny Kittens Go to the Moon Ooh. I would not make a kickstarter I would not make a kickstarter project that's all hey everybody I'm making a webcomic right now I'd like to keep making it for uh, an un, an indeterminate amount of time mm-hmm. how about you give me some money for it because that feels very formless that feels that's not as finite as I like a kickstarter project to be I want a kickstarter project to have an end Mm-hmm. And so, you know, something that free form, I don't think makes, that's more well suited to something like Patreon. Yeah. Whereas Kickstarter is about you know projects, beginning, middle, end, project. <laughs> and that's and the fine, the most important one, honestly, is do I want to do it? Yeah. Do I care about this book? And that has been the vetting process for Iron Circus, just in general. Um, if a book comes out from Iron Circus. Rest assured, it's because I like it. Yeah. That's the only reason it comes out, because <laughs> I like If I look at someone's web, I actually get super, like, kind of in people's faces when I really like their work. I send them emails and PMs and DMs, and I'm just like, hey, just so you know, doors always open. Really love your work. Hey, what's going on? Hey, you want- have you ever thought of publishing this? Because I'm right here. What's up? Hi, hello, what's up? And I'm sure there are creators out there that are like, okay, all right, heard you the first time. But, you know, just being sort of, that aggressive about I really want to publish this pretty much everything on the Iron Circus line as it were has been subjected to that treatment yeah so yeah, those are kind of my standards and uh with as the crow flies I do believe it is it's very much on track to fund it's currently um it won't do it without your help folks but mm. uh it's currently about like 75 percent of the way there with uh two-thirds of the project left to go which is a very comfortable place to be yeah but at the same time, you know, there's always that, that worry, like, oh, goodness, you know, what if that that last pledge I got 10 minutes ago, what if that was the last pledge I get? Oh, my God, what am I going to do, you know? <laughs> no, the, the typical panic that I think, yeah, it just goes through your head, I think, naturally. <laughs> yeah. It's like, ah, uh, yeah, because, I mean, like, here's here's a very gushy part of this podcast. Like, I love all the crap that you put out anyways. <laughs> Not that it's crap, but that's just how I generalize things. Oh, no, I <laughs> but no, it's it's uh, like I said, you know, following you on Twitter and, and seeing the stuff that you're producing and everything, and just that um, I had actually seen you at a, um, I think it was a couple of Emerald Cities ago, but you were on a panel with Tanika and Safe and Cal, uh-huh. um, and talking about Kickstarters and everything. And you guys are just so fucking awesome about like how you approach it and how honest you are with everyone because like what do you have to lose? You know, yeah. if you're dishonest about things, but... You... One of my absolute favorite things about Kickstarter is what it's done to democratize publishing. Mm-hmm. And I, I like, talk to the founders, or rather two of the three founders, I guess you could say, um, sometimes. And one of the things I constantly say to them is just, you ha- 
have created something that has completely changed the landscape of comics publishing. Mm -hmm. Completely. It has made self-publishing this viable thing, and it has cut out a middleman that has been gatekeeping and keeping so much out of comics on purpose, intentionally, for years. Mm -hmm. And suddenly, it's like publishers have had to step up their game. They have had to basically be a value add instead of simply the, the person you had to contend with to get your work out there. There has to be a reason that you go with a publisher now as opposed to, well, fuck this, I'll just take it to Kickstarter. Yeah. <laughs> and that has been revitalizing. That's been fascinating. And it's the variety that's out there now is just, oh my God. It's like at the turn of the century, I couldn't even have dreamed about sort of the level of stuff being published. Like, this is my Korean food zine. This is my zine about anxiety. This is my zine about sailing the ocean in a tall ship. Mm-hmm. This is my, you know, it's just, that's so fucking rad, and I love it so much. Oh, no, and it, and it just opens, it opens you up to, like, so many different types of stories, and, uh... I was talking to, oh, I think it was, I think it was Nick Filardi of the last episode of the, the podcast, like, the the way that the industry has changed, you know, for the better in this aspect is that you get to see all the weird stuff now, too, like, the oh, yeah. the things that were, like, way more underground, like, Nick and I were talking about his his old pitch about uh, what, vampire giraffes. <laughs> Yeah. So it's just like these are the things that I mean. If you have the 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 ability to create it, there's also a platform for you to to get it out there for other people as well, like on on different levels entirely. So it's like if you've got a weird idea, odds are there's an audience for it somewhere. Yeah, and the best part is now you don't have to like convince some old editor who is worried about the bottom line. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. Am I going to be able to convince? you know, the 18 to 35 year old white cis male demographic to buy this. Mm. And the answer nine times out of 10 for years was no. And now it doesn't matter. None of that matters anymore. And it's great. It's like, can I, can I reach like, just stop talking right there. I'm going to tell you, no, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah, It's like, can you imagine like going to a publisher at the turn of the century and just being like, um, here is my zine where I talk about the anxieties of being a first generation immigrant kid in Southern California in the late eighties, early nineties. Mm-hmm. They would have fucking laughed you out of the room. Yeah, <laughs> it's like ah, uh, it's so good. It's so good. Yeah. <laughs> oh, comics is in seriously. I, I've said it before, and I, I still believe it. Um, comics is in a new golden age. Mm-hmm. I really believe that. Like the level of interest and the level of variety out there right now. It, it's bigger and more diverse than it has been in any other time in, in my memory. And mm-hmm. I've been into comics since I was 16. There you go. It's, it's fantastic. Well, after hearing your statements and interrogating the information, I'm bound to agree with you and believe exactly <laughs> what you're saying. Right on. That's yes. a good thing. Um, so I think that's a good place to, to, to end. Um, All right. Everybody, the- come by my stuff at ironcircuscomics.com. And if you run a bookstore, my stuff is available via consortium. Yay. And uh, should they wish to communicate with you, where might they find you on the on online? I am at iron underscore spike at Twitter. So I'm easy to find there. On Instagram, I'm ironcircus, one word. Um, on, where am I? Tumblr? Is that a good one? Let's see. Sure. I, I have to make sure my Tumblr iron, because it's like, I'm a mil- okay, I'm Iron Circus Comics, one word, on Tumblr, and on the internet in general, I am ironcircus.com. Woohoo! And, uh, just 
you know, again, like I said, I fucking love you, and I'm so glad you were on, and I can't wait to see you at the next con, which will, I don't know if you're going to, are you going to Rose City at all this year? I am a guest at Rose City! Yeah! They invited me, I have a booth! There we go, I will see you at Rose City, I'll see you in Portland! Um, and, uh, just, again, formally, thank you, Spike, for being on the show. It's so thank rad. Thank you for having me. This yeah. was fun. Yay! And, uh, as always, goodbye, everybody! Goodbye! Bye.